If you're considering adoption, it can come with a lot of unknowns and uncertainties. So how do we stay sane? And how do we prepare for a life-changing experience that can happen at any moment? Well, for the month of June, in honor of Pride Month, we're sharing the adoption perspective from a same-sex couple. Are you an LGBTQ plus couple that's curious about becoming parents? And maybe you're considering adoption? Or maybe are you a single person looking to adopt on your own? Or are you in a heterosexual relationship and you want to know how to speak to your children about LGBTQ plus families? Well, today's couple, Zach and Matt, are here to speak to the additional challenges, fears, and hurdles that they've had to overcome when becoming parents. They share how to navigate the anxiety of adoption and how we can prepare if adoption is right for us. You're listening to the Mamas in Training podcast. Today, giving aspiring and expecting persons guidance and community from moms who have been there. I'm your host, Jessica Lorian. However, I'm not yet a mom. An autoimmune disease delayed my journey into motherhood, so I made it my mission while I heal myself to learn with you all about parenthood. So together, we can be as prepared as possible. And today, we're looking at parenthood through the lens of inclusion. For Matt, being his true self, he thought meant having to give up the idea of one day becoming a dad until he met Zach. By hearing their story and knowing that other LGBTQ couples have started a family, I hope it'll help you figure out if parenthood is right for you as well. My name is Matt and I'm the stay-at-home dad and hopefully the fun one. <laughs> and I'm Zach. I am the organized one, or we call it rules dad. <laughs> Zach and Matt had been in the process of adopting a child for two and a half years. All the paperwork was in, and they were told to just wait and be patient. So they were off living their day to day until. Anybody who knows Zach knows that his birthday is the most important event of the year. So uh, it was Zach's. 30th. It was 2019 and uh, I was freaking out, calling friends, trying to find out places to go in Jersey. And we, uh, we ended up deciding to go on a trip, apple picking. So I called friends and did this whole arrangement for them to come in. We're going to do activity the whole Saturday, but just for me and him, we're going to do something on Friday. So we'll make it a whole weekend of his birthday. We're going to go apple picking and go to a winery and, and we got in the car and while we were driving, Zach was telling me that the person who was handling our adoption, they just had a conversation together that morning just to touch base because it's been two and a half years uh, of us already in the program waiting for the adoption to happen. I love that's where you started, because in my mind, I started off with two and a half years of paperwork. <laughs> true, to, true to form, you started with the fun, I was going to start with the paperwork. <laughs> I love it. 
<laughs> we can come back and talk about all the paperwork too, which might be interesting to, have to talk about. But, That's true. Know, yeah, I, yeah. So <laughs> we were on the way to do birthday things, and a caseworker at the adoption agency called, and you know we had put our hands up for a potential match five or six weeks earlier. The birth mom was due in early November. And I, I remember it so well. We were on Route 287 going from our house to this place that we were headed. We were in that blue Toyota Camry that it was such a sunny day. We had the sunroof open and it was just this really fun, special, I take it. It was a beautiful off, day. My day. Yeah, and it was such a beautiful sunny day. And the phone rang and, and we answered it. and. She said, hey, it's me from the agency, and uh, good news, the birth mom picked you. And, you know, it was so exciting, yeah. but barely even a breath before we got the next bit of good news, which was that she was in labor. She had gone into labor early, so oh she picked us at the hospital while she was getting ready to, to deliver. And so this was, what, probably Friday, right? Friday. Yeah. And... Um, our person at the agency said, can you be in Massachusetts by Sunday? And so we said, of course we can. So <laughs> we like kind of had to stop and think like, what do we do now? It's on so many levels, but- Do we keep going to the winery? Do we celebrate? So we thought, well, like what do we do? Go home and just sit there and twiddle our thumbs and be anxious for, for two days? Let's have fun. So we did. We went to the winery. We went apple picking. We got some gifts for the birth parents while we were on apple mm. picking and some apple butter and some candies and a big bushel of apples to bring with us. <laughs> and we sat outside and drank wine and had a really lovely, beautiful day thinking oh, if everything goes according to plan, which you always hope it does, it doesn't always, but you hope that it does. This could be like the last time that we're doing something, just the two of us, before we're parents. Yeah. Um, and so, and that was the case. We ended up driving up and filling the trunk with everything you could possibly buy at Target that night. A couple of glasses of wine and then going to Target is not a great combination, but it's a great combination. <laughs> so we had a trunk full of essentials and apples. <laughs> and, um, and the thing is, like, Zach was already ready. Like, he had his Amazon list. And he just, I remember him like in the car, just clicking that like buy thing and just like, yeah. Wow. So, yeah. Yeah. And that was our T minus one day to, to being dads. <laughs> that is so beautiful. So the whole process is really this mix of cautious optimism and being willing to take a big leap of faith. And that's the, that was the story of the full two and a half years of our adoption journey to bring Sam home and have him part of our family. And, you know, I'll be honest, that like 36 hours or so when we got the phone call until when we actually met Sam for the first time was probably the most emotionally intense 36 hours I've ever experienced. Yeah. Would you agree? Yeah, I would agree. So, you know, we, we get a phone call. It was nerve-wracking, yeah. Yeah, yeah and the, we get a call, and it says, they give us a little bit of information. And every time the phone rings, like, oh, is, this, is, it, is it the call where they tell you? Actually, she decided something different. Um, right. Which, every... it's, it's the right of, for the mother to, like, if she wants any second, she could just say, I'll keep the child. And, you know, we can't do anything about that. That's her right. And that's great. Like, yeah. you, you want birth moms to be counseled. Absolutely. For every possible option, and so they can make the best decision for themselves and for their baby. Um, and also, as adoptive parents, 
we really wanted to be dads. And so that's a very intense yeah. period of time. But we ended up getting in the car and we drove up to Massachusetts. We stopped for dinner the night before with a couple of friends from college who helped calm our nerves quite a bit. <laughs> and then Sunday morning, you know, we showed up at the hospital at the prescribed time with gifts that <laughs> apple butter wrapped up with a nice little bow. <laughs> we walked in the hospital and chatted with our social worker downstairs in this nice but dated lobby, took a brief elevator ride up to a conference room, and they opened the door, and there were these two wonderful kids just as nervous as we were um and we got to meet sam's birth parents yeah they were so sweet oh my god they were two 19 year olds really really wonderful kids and somewhere in between the phone call and meeting them the agency called us back and said hey you know do you mind if the birth mom names the child she really wants to give the child a name and we said of course that's such a beautiful special thing that she gets to give to him for the rest of his life and then we learned his name was Sam, and it's the perfect name for him. He's such, he's a Sam. He's yeah. so, he couldn't be anything else other than Sam. And the first time we heard it, we, we just like, we smiled. We were like, oh, Sam, that's a beautiful name. We just like, right away fell in love with the name. And oh. that was just, yeah, just yeah. a blessing. Yeah. Matt, what was that moment for you when you first held Sam? What did that feel like? I, I can't even like describe it. I remember like coming into the NICU and just looking at him the first time. His eyes had blindfold on them and he was in this little, because he's a preemie, he was like born early. Mm. And he was under the lights, the UV lights, because he was also jaundiced. And he was this little, like, helpless little thing, just like curled up in a ball. And he was just so cute. You could literally put him in the palm of your hand. Like that's how much he was, like how much he was big. When the first time I changed him is the first time I picked him up. And I put him on sh- my shoulder and just like, it's just washed all over me. Just this like, just love. I just knew that's my son. I just knew it. It was beautiful and a little bit scary. About 90% of the pre-adoption education and training that we did and, and you're required to do with most agencies, like flew out of my brain. Like, <laughs> to go from apple picking to parenting in 48 hours. And when we met Sam, it was around noon on Sunday and we were parenting from there on. So we met him and held him and birth parents left the hospital. Uh, The social worker came in and said, uh, you're the parents, parent. And she left, that's it. And we were like there with the baby, we sat sitting down looking at him and Zach starts telling him about the Patriots and the score, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) telling him about the, yeah. I spent a big portion of my career working in maternal and child health outside of the U.S. So I've seen a lot of preemies in the work that I do. I've worked on a lot of programs that are focused on neonatal resuscitation and ensuring that babies can breathe and survive and thrive when they are born too soon. It's still, (laughs) nothing prepares you for that experience of actually parenting this tiny, beautiful, incredible child that you're now responsible for i will say the just extraordinary nurses at this hospital there couldn't have been any more wonderful just reassuring us and helping show us things and answer questions and for for two dads like 
they were very nice and very kind to us. Yeah. It really meant a lot because we weren't like any other family in that in that facility, right? So the fact they went out of their way to make sure that we as two dads felt respected as the dads and felt validated as the dads and felt supported as the dads really meant a lot. Yeah. How can you stay grounded and present but ready at any time? Like what is what is that balance like? How do you balance that, if at all? I think a big piece of it for same-sex couples to feel supported and grounded but also to be able to experience that joy that you should be experiencing is picking the right agency. So working with an agency that understood same-sex adoption, not just like they would do it, which is the bare minimum, but that they understood it and had people on their staff who had supported same-sex families. And lived it. And lived it. Like our, our, our case worker in New Jersey has two moms and the program manager that we were working with initially is lesbian and has children. And so it just felt that that's one of the biggest pieces that helped us stay grounded and informed, but also let us experience the full joy knowing we had like the right support team behind us. (laughs) Yeah. And so it goes beyond necessarily just reading Google reviews or something. It's really making sure that the actual people who are behind you and who are going to be your team also understand you or maybe even potentially if it's possible have actually lived it i mean that would make a huge difference yeah absolutely zach i know for you you mentioned you know having this amazon list actually ready (laughs) in the cart you know ready to just press send are there any other specific tools or tricks that you know literal things that you can do to prepare during this time so so much of our experience is just like any other parents that are expecting through any method, right? Where you want to be prepared and your list and your books and your people and your plan and your go bag and all these things that are so typical for, for many family formation experiences. I will say that uniquely for us um, as two dads, I listened to, and I showed you this in these episodes too, this podcast um, called The Longest Shortest Time. Oh yeah. And there um, was a multi-part series Um, featuring a queer couple, one of them is trans, that shared their own family formation journey, which was a different journey from our own, but it was wonderful to hear just the candid reflection on what their stages were and how they experienced it. And it it felt very um, interesting, but also... Pretty informative and compelling and also like just grounding. Like you just knew that like things will work out. Don't freak out because that's one of the things that like we were stressing for two and a half years and then just like like that just happened. Right. That's what we tell people who like waiting. Just it'll happen. Just like don't stress about it and suddenly it will happen to you. And yeah. But like you also gotta have your mom squad, like two dads, like two dads, two moms, mom and dad, whatever, like any kind of co-parenting. I call it my mom squad. They're the people that I could call or text for anything, right? The people who get me and who have been there already. You know, yeah. a, a best friend in Easton, Mass, where I grew up, who has a daughter that's a year older than my son, who had all of the. This is what you need, and you know, this is what you you should pick up, and even when we 
got up to Massachusetts and finally brought Sam home with us. We went to my parents' house in Easton for the first week or so because there's a set of laws requiring a legal handoff from a state that you're departing with a adopted child to the state that you're that's receiving you that you're going to. So you have to kind of wait a week for that clearance, right. the international compact for child protection, I think. Yeah. Um, ICPC. Yeah. International Compact Protection of Children. Yeah. So we were at my parents' house and this incredible friend, Ariana, who I've known since I was in grade school, <laughs> she knew exactly what we needed. So she would show up with coffee or she'd show up with food and just say like, go take a nap. Not even texting and saying, can I do something for you? What can I do for you? She knew what needed to be done. And so she, with her own one year old at that time, like would just stop over and make sure that we were resting or eating or caffeinated, whatever the, yeah. the moment was calling for. Not just that, but also like asking for resources or asking for help. People just jumped like, you know, to help you. What did it mean to both of you to become parents? Since my childhood, I like playing with dolls taking care of them and I've always dreamt growing up that like I would like to be a dad there's something because I always like envisioned this empty nurturing. vessel that you can fill and, with love and, and nurture and then see yeah. what will come out I think it's also one of the reasons that I struggled with my sexuality and all that kind of stuff because I thought for the longest time that like if I do decide to be myself then I will take the, that part that being a parent, being a dad away from myself. And that mm -hmm. struggle was something that just really was just so hard for me until I bumped into this guy and he, <laughs> he says, uh, what did he say? He said, don't you like dream of this white picket fence and uh, kids running around and a dog running around? I was like, kids, what are you talking about? And he was like, well, people get married and have kids. I was like, how are you gonna have kids? And he was like, we're gonna adopt. I started thinking about it. We read about it. And then when we started the whole journey of adoption, I really learned a lot, you know, from that journey. And uh, the first time I held Sam, I just knew that I was his dad. And I just knew that I just wanted to protect him and take care of him. That dream was made a reality that you yeah. sort of stifled for a while. Yeah. It's one of the first things that we really, like maybe surprisingly early in our relationship, really got quickly aligned on yeah. where... We both had an interest in parenting. I think I had a bit more practical vision around how that might be possible. Not yeah. wanted a baseball team of kids, but didn't know what that meant. <laughs> uh, so, but but we really like as as early as I can remember in our relationship have talked about being parents and yeah. being dads and that being really important to us. And so to have that to happen and, and really come true has just been absolutely incredible. You know, Matt and I have very different relationships with our families. Both yeah. come from wonderful, brilliant, loving, caring, warm families, but have very different relationships with our families. Yeah. And recognize that not every family formation journey is as easy and smooth and supported as ours, right? But there are a lot of folks out there, two dad, two mom, trans families, non-binary families who are not as strongly supported by their friends and family and communities and places and spaces. And so we feel like it's this amazing, incredible dream that's finally come true. And also 
just a huge sense of privilege that we're able to Absolutely. take this journey and yeah. be so supported and can afford it. I mean, gosh, adoption is expensive. The fact that we can oh, yeah. afford it is also something that is an incredible privilege, but just very, very grateful. And we're planning for kid two in the near future. So we you know, yeah. get to do the whole thing over again. <laughs> so now that was going to be my next question. So per- perfect, perfect segue, Zach. What now are you doing, if anything, different? Are you changing anything? Are you thinking of anything differently? What did you learn from that first experience that you might be putting into place now? So our beautiful boy is now almost three years old. Yeah. And so for me, one of the big things the second time around is just going to be, we already have a toddler who's going to be <laughs> yeah. running around and asking questions and needing things. And um, that's definitely one thing that I'm thinking about. Yeah. I think just uh, this time I'm not going to be as stressed about it happening sooner than later. It's going to happen whenever ever our son or daughter is out there. Like, you know, it's going to happen when it's going to happen. All you can do is just wait and, uh, and uh, you know, and hope for the best. Because, yeah. You know, I completely agree. And I think that this experience has prepared us to really understand what all the highs and lows are going to be the next time around. Mm-hmm. Acknowledging that the second time around will not be the same as the first time around. That the relationship with our second child's birth parents likely will be very different than our relationship with Sam's birth mom and mm-hmm. birth dad. And what that means for us, how we kind of manage that stress or those feelings or, or things that come up and how we talk to two kids in the future who might have very different relationships with their own birth parents. How do you make sure that neither kid feels less loved because they have a different relationship with their birth parents than their sibling does? And so really well prepared in some sense, you know, logistically and operationally, I suppose, but emotionally it's, it's probably going to be a very different journey this time around, just kind of depending on, the whole context for our second adoption. Yeah, if you have one kid who has a relationship with his birth mother, and then you have another kid that both parents are not in contact, you know, how do you deal with that? Those are the things that like run through my head. Yeah. And that's kind of the beauty and the challenge of open adoption, right? So we, we specifically wanted to work with agencies once we learned more about open adoption that focus on open adoption so that, you know, at least for domestic programs in the U.S., you're encouraged to have an open and candid and as close a relationship with birth parents and birth families as, as possible. It's for Sam's, it's in his best interest. You know, he never feels like there's anything being hidden or he doesn't understand his family story or his origin story. And we have a wonderful relationship with his birth mom. Yeah. Um, but on the other side of it, there can be things that need to be carefully explained and taught and kind of managed when you're working in an open adoption type relationship, especially as you go from from one to two. And I have to say, like, I was a convert when it came to open adoption. I I used to think like, oh, I don't want to contact, I don't want to know anything, all that kind of stuff. And then as we read and talked about it, uh, it really opened up my eyes to open adoption. And I, I am a full believer now in it because of that. Mm. And I see it like right now with, with Sam and the relationship that he has with his birth mom is just so beautiful. One of the things that's beautiful about open adoption specifically for queer families is you know that you're being 
chosen to parent, not despite your queerness, but yeah. that is something that the birth parents liked about us, right? And yeah. and that's it's just it's very different to have that regular affirmation. It's so wonderful because we see yeah. and hear her reflect to us how happy she is that we are Sam's parents and all the reasons why she chose us, it's because of who we are, not despite yeah. who we are. Mm. Um, and you really get to feel that in the relationship that you have through open adoption. <laughs> Absolutely true. Yeah. What has been the biggest struggle? So for me, when Sam came home, I took paternity leave first. It was wonderful. Matt took a couple of weeks off, but I had a very well-supported employer plan. In fact, I should also say my employer did adoption reimbursement and wow. great paternity leave and the health and all of it like was really well supported by my my employer. The hardest part was actually realizing that while I was home and looking for connection with other parents, that many of the systems and structures that are set up are really only designed for moms and specifically yeah. for moms in heterosexual families and it was mm -hmm. really difficult to as someone that didn't have a lot of or really any that I can think of queer for you too queer parents to look up to older than me in my life you know I was reaching out to Facebook groups and meetup groups and local groups and every time I'd reach out I'd hear oh well sorry this is just a mom's group it's only it's only for moms but you're welcome mm -hmm. to start a dad companion group and I'm thinking like I am elbows deep in diapers. I haven't slept in, like, and I don't have time to start a new social. I need a support network. I'm trying to find a group that, right. and yeah. um, it felt I very, help now. Like, yeah. yeah. And, it, and I guess as someone that looks at the world through the lens of inclusion, it was logically confounding and also like really hurt my feelings at a time that I, in particular, being home all the time with a newborn, really just wanted other people to reach out to. You. Yeah. in my geographic area, in addition right. to my friends that I could talk over text message or FaceTime and such. Hmm. I guess for me, the thing is, Sam, like, is very fair-skinned and blue-eyed and, uh, you know, has very light hair. Uh, I'm not. I'm Middle Eastern. So uh, when I'm with him, I do get these looks, like, you know, like, what is this child doing with hmm. this man? Maybe it's just self-conscious. It's just a yeah, thing that I'm... I'm always worried of someone questioning me with this child just because they, they're ignorant or they don't know how to feel about it. I've always, like, prepared myself. If that happened, like, I have all the proof and stuff, like, just, like, mm -hmm. to show people just in case this happened. I wouldn't felt that way if it wasn't for, like, the whole gay thing, political stuff that is happening right now. It's the reason that it's, like, I'm feeling like that. If that didn't happen, I would feel less nervous about it because I would be like, no, people are decent and people are nice and not going to do that. But then I see that it's happening around us and I'm like, it could happen to me. So I just have to be prepared mentally. And Yeah, I think the safety piece is really, everyone is worried about safety for their child, but we worry about safety for our whole family. Like when we go on a family vacation or when we're picking a museum or something to go to, even when we were thinking about babysitting for Sam, like we have to make sure that the people that are part of our world, even for a minute, never mind for a regular babysitting or, or home health kind of a thing, that they're people that are safe for us to be around as a queer 
multiracial <laughs> adoptive family. Yeah. And especially now that you see so much happening in places like Florida, where kids are being targeted um, and, and queer families are being targeted, especially where you see in Texas, where trans kids and parents of trans kids are, are being targeted, even, you know, with what seems to be likely with Roe versus Wade, that the core argument there also could fundamentally undermine the right to same-sex marriage, never mind same-sex family formation. And to have been past that hurdle and to finally felt at least legally safe and unsafe and solid ground, yeah. and now to maybe have that eroded as well as all the other horrific consequences that would come with losing Roe v. Wade as precedent. Um, yeah, it's it's a little bit unnerving. We love being dads and want to keep growing our family, but it's this added level of stress that kind of underlies everything about being a parent on top of the actual parenting, which is its own level of difficulty. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, you're just you just have like layer upon layer upon layer of a figuring out of managing getting used to as everything just kind of comes your way because you can I mean as as any parent no matter what the family looks like you can prepare only so much, you know, but it's all these other things that happen to come down your path that you really have to navigate. Even just the the logistics of parenting are so different for adoptive queer families, for adoptive families in general. For instance, Sam was not issued a social security number at birth, which is typical for adoptions. Mm. And we had to fight tooth and nail to eventually, two years later, to get a social security number issued, which is like one of the foundations of establishing your identity, right? We have a birth certificate, we have all of the paperwork, but that social security number is part of how we establish legal identity here in the US. And so that was a whole whole separate, all of these little things that can be easily taken for granted require so much more intentionality and focus and thought if you are a quote, non-traditional family of any type at all, right? Through any kind of family formation or any kind of parenting or family structure. In this beautiful, my favorite month of the entire year, June and Pride, and the opportunity that we get to share your story to support other families out there, to encourage other families out there, and to let other families know that the more that you tell your story and the more that you speak out about your journey, the more we can hopefully normalize the beauty that is just family and whatever family looks like for anybody. So is there anything else that same-sex families, trans families, queer families needs to know as they're embarking on this journey? That it's all going to work out. Kids are resilient and the roles of like parents, uh, the whole mom and dad uh, like thing is, is a caregiver and a provider. If someone like would ask like who's the mom and who's the dad like in a relationship, that's the way they people like would simplify it. Right. Uh, well, we're both out the moms and the dads. Yeah, that's how I see it. Uh, I I will never forget Sam like watching TV and seeing mom and dad uh, all the time. So he started referring to me as mommy. <laughs> and to be honest with you, I loved that. I thought it was absolutely adorable. I just I, you know I didn't encourage it. I just didn't like didn't like tell him no, I'm daddy. Yeah, and he was saying it for at least three weeks and then suddenly he just switched and started saying daddy and 
that and that's it. I think roles can change also. I used to work. When Sam came home, I still like continued on working and then COVID hit. So I stopped working and stayed home. Took fully the role of like uh, being the caregiver. I feel like your favorite line from Big Brother is probably your, your <laughs> best advice. <laughs> expect but, the unexpected. Oh uh, uh, yeah, expect the unexpected. Uh, mm. <laughs> and you, you've been parenting him now for basically two years of the majority of the pandemic. And all of that is because of what you are instilling in him. And I, I, I love seeing that. I, yeah. I think you said your roles evolve over time. My role in our family is what it is right now. Your role is what it is too. But I admire and in some ways envy that too, you know, because I, I would mm-hmm. love to have had more of that time. Um, although we have our own time in our, in our own way too. You know, roles are changing all of the time and roles mm-hmm. look different. And so it doesn't matter really what role anybody takes on as long as there's love and there's communication and there's support. That little child no matter how they come into your world is just going to be unbelievably loved. And I see it in both of you. And in some ways, our family is a unique kind of family, but in so many ways, we're like any other typical family or any kind of parenting structure, single parents, heterosexual, homosexual, trans, non-binary. It's just about love and communication and support and, and, and trying your hardest to keep this little thing safe and healthy and thriving and on the right path to, to where we're going to go. One piece of advice I'd offer to same sex or queer families is you're loved and that love might not always come from your own biological families, but it's going to come from maybe a mix of your family, your chosen family, the people you surround yourself with. I mean, heck, even complete strangers, we love you. Like we, we love other queer families and yes, queer parents. We, love you. we don't have to know you to love you, but, but there are a lot of people who are out there cheering for you and rooting for you and eager to support you. And I would also maybe give a little bit of an insight to non-queer families, which would be talk to your children about queer families. The the more you talk to your young kids as a mom and a dad in the, quote, traditional family unit about non-traditional, the more it becomes normalized that families look like and can be many different things that there's maybe... a lot of books like you know for kids to yeah. like read about him you know what's what's wrong with bringing like a, a book with two moms in him and reading just normally just read it to your yeah. kids you know there's nothing wrong with that it's just gonna, you, it's going to make them better people and it's going to something... make it easier for other queer families yeah. to exist right yeah. because the more that you know the majority which is heterosexual mom and dad families help us normalize queer family existence and behavior and family formation, it creates more space for other queer folks to feel confident becoming parents and starting their own family journeys. So it's it's just, it's so important. And if you want to be inclusive, if that's your goal, if you, if you want to support the LGBTQ plus community, just remember that we exist, celebrate that we exist, tell your kids that we exist, you know, don't shy away from it. Don't be like thinking to yourself that it's a weird subject, but it's not. It's a very simple you know, subject and kids will understand it and we'll be fine with it. From apple picking to parenthood in 48 hours, (laughs) these two had no idea when their baby was going to enter this world, but what a beautiful story of determination. Inclusion is so important. And as we learned today, families only need to have the foundation of love 
in order to be labeled as a family, no matter what they look like from the outside. If you're curious about adoption, remember Zach and Matt's recommendations. Number one, find an agency that is not only supportive of your lifestyle, but possibly has lived it. This will give you the foundation you need to feel confident, supported, and empowered when making decisions. Secondly, get your mom squad, as Zach calls it. Have that community of friends, acquaintances, support groups that you can call on at any time for resources or just a good old chat. Community is essential, especially as you enter parenthood. And if you're looking for a supportive community, well, you found the right place. All are welcome to join us in our free community on Facebook, Mamas in Training. And just because it's called Mamas, we are all maternal, nurturing humans at heart. So everyone is welcome. Just click on the link in the show notes and be welcomed in today to a network of support. Finally, when you're in the show notes, click on the link to see the full show notes where you will get an amazing list of children's books that Zach and Matt recommend. It's time we start including these stories into our regular routine. Let's share the pride of what it is to love and be loved. Happy Pride. We're in this together. If you enjoyed the show today, new episodes release every Wednesday. So be sure to subscribe in your favorite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. And help us grow our mama community by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. That way I know how to better serve you. And finally, I would love to connect on Instagram. You can find me at Mamas in Training Pod. That's M-A-M-A-S in Training P-O-D. For Mamas in Training, I'm Jessica Lorian. We're in this together. <laughs>